Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. Wow. There was no fake out. Yeah, there wasn't. We usually do a fake out. No fake out. I don't think we're really recording, but I'll go along with the sham anyway. Now you've ruined it. And I'm Ira. (laughs) Howdy, everybody. And this is Money Money. Shot. And this week, we have a very special guest in studio. The woman who gave birth to one of us. Perhaps both of us. <laughs> My mom. Mom, welcome back. Robert's mom. Hello, yeah. hello. You came back. <laughs> I did. Uh, my mom is a World War uh, One specialist, I, I would say, in terms of history. Is that correct, Mom? Would you agree well, with that? I, yes. All right. I'm so not I, an that, expert that was your, by any stretch. Well, that was your focus yes. when you were in you were a history major in college right. and specializing in World War One. But World War II is not that far away, so we felt that eh, it wouldn't be that inappropriate to bring you in. Now, you know what's week, up. Can we get my mom on the show? Yeah, let's bring your mom. You have her in an urn, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Special guest, yeah. an urn. She might be a little quiet. We'll have to raise her volume level <laughs> significantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mrs. Effler, I actually disagree with that. Uh, but this week, we're going to be reviewing Dunkirk. Right, Dunkirk. And when we're done with that, we're going to reveal our top five this week, which is top five rescue movies. Top five, top Re- five rescue, rescue movies. Rescue movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Rescue. But before we do that, we need to talk about some uh, some mail. we got to do Week in Review and, of course, Dead Corner. Dead so corner. let's start off with mail. Robert and Ira have nothing to fear. It's from our listeners we want to hear. Help us make our podcast better. We look forward to reading your letter. Now, as is customary, I rarely mention who an email is from, but I think it's going to be difficult to avoid who this, this email is, a, is from. You didn't acknowledge this is the first time because you, you know what it's standard it, now. It's sta- you didn't give me any flack. Yeah, I just and it's the I first tune out. Time you just kinda, uh, I, I just kind of let it go. Okay, go ahead. You know, after you get tortured like when, <laughs> when in Guantanamo, you get waterboarded for the eighty seventh yeah, okay. time yeah, after good a in while. You and your analogies. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I think it's going to be difficult to, to mask who this email is from. This email says, Hi, Robert and Ira. I forgot to mention this when I was on the show last week, but uh, <laughs> with uh, Karen, the suit lady from Spider-Man Homecoming. So, obviously, this is from Mason, who was our guest last week. He sent us an email. So, he goes on to say in this email, he talks about the voice of the suit, of Spider-Man's suit. And do you know who voiced it? You know... Actually, I was driving him home after the podcast, and mm-hmm. he said that he was sorry he didn't say that during last week's podcast. I told him to write a letter, so he did. Who who was the voice? Jennifer Connelly. Did she have a credit? I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't watch the credits for her name. But mm. uh, so I, at any rate, he says, you know, her the whole point about um, that he's trying to make about the uh, that the suit was very well voiced. And that there was kind of almost a relationship going on. Between kind of, it was it was reeking of sex. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you picked up on that, didn't you? Did you, can you avoid uh, talking about sex in front of my mom? Oh, sorry, sorry, Robert's mom. That was that was the best passive aggressive <laughs> eye roll I've ever seen. I, I wish that translated over podcast. All right, so um, it was. In fact, there's a little bit of jealousy. Yeah. Even a little jealousy when she said. She's there. Make your move. But it was the way she was saying it as if there was a love interest. Yeah. It was kind of erotic and it confused me. And I didn't know why that simulation, simulated voice had to have that dynamic. And I think it does lead to this idea of uh, AI cr- creating like a human-esque it was entity. like her. Yeah. Like the movie Her. Yeah, and I think that's what Mason even goes on to mention yeah. in his email. So yeah. it's an interesting point. And 
I think that's some that's a theme that we're starting to see more of. I think we saw a little bit of that with uh, Ghost in the Shell when we reviewed that, which oddly was with Mason as well. And I expect that we'll probably see some of that when we review the Blade Runner sequel that's coming up right in the next right. few months. So we'll probably get into that a little bit more in detail. But that's certainly uh, a, a key element to sci-fi movies, and th- that's the little speck of sci-fi within this Marvel comic book universe. I do want to say one more thing about last week's Spider-Man. I found this highly curious. Gwyneth Paltrow is in the movie for about 42 seconds. Yes. Are are you aware of the closing credit crawl when they list all the names? She was ranked third. Was she? What the fuck? Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, Robert's mom. Um, What's up with that? That's insane. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, Robert's mom. (laughs) Was she a producer on the film? Why would no. she get that when she, she was on the set for like 30 minutes to well, do that one scene? I don't know. Maybe contractually she yeah. has. Yeah. You know, you know that she's been in all the Iron Man I movies. know. Okay. I know. But So maybe her contract has her. Well, I wonder though, you're talking about in the scroll that were. Yes. Not at the, you know, they do all the cast. Right. So perhaps. Not in order though. Well, I think maybe what you're looking at, at was that they listed everybody in the post credit or the post film little credit sequence there was a little animation and that's where they're doing everybody's uh names that that are popping up yes and so maybe with her that's the first of the people that didn't get mentioned in the little animation sequence it was in the crawl well anyway i thought it was odd that mom what did you think of spider-man i didn't see spider-man that's not your cup of tea not at all. Speaking of cup of tea, real real quick flash forward here to Dunkirk. How many times did they say, well, we'll have a cup of tea ready for you in this movie? That, that, then, I, that he hands the guy the tea and it's black and it looks like coffee. To yeah. me, unless they drink it that strong. They did say that quite a bit today at Dunkirk. Yeah. All right. But anyway, that's, uh, that's our mail. Ira, let's talk about movies that we saw this week. Mm, movies we saw. <laughs> I wish... I wish our listeners could see Robert's expression. Uh, just get Your over body it. language it's is just, so... You yeah, know, yeah. that's the worst part of torture is having to wait to be tortured. <laughs> that's what they always say, right? Just... Anticipation. Other movies we've seen during the last seven days. Some are stinkers and some we want to some we want to praise. Some are old, <laughs> some are new. We now present The Week in Review. All right, Ira, what movies did you see this I'm week? i first. Don't uh, you want to ask your mom? Please? Mom... What movies did you see? Did you see any cool war documentaries this week? Well, no, I didn't. I watched uh, Ira, uh, Ira, Ida mm-hmm. Lupino and Jane, John Gabin, Gabin, and a in what? 1940s film. I think it was the actual first film noir movie, early 40s, 1942. I can't remember the title of it. That was Water. Something I can't remember what it was. If we had our producer here, she'd yeah. be on it. If Damn. I had my iPhone, I'd look it up the yeah. title. I'll go ahead and find I, it. So who was it? Ida Lupino. Gabin. Gabin. He was a French actor. Well, while I'm looking it up, tell us a little bit about it. What was it about? It was about um, a man that was uh, accused of murdering someone, and he fell in love with a waif, Ida Lupino, who was just. Um, a lost waif and she meets him on the docks and they befriend each other and they have this beautiful romance and uh, finally he is uh, exonerated of the crime was it High Sierra? the sea wolf? Ida Lupino 
Yeah, yeah I got it. You said it was called 1942. Mm-hmm. That might not be the... Moon Tide? Moon, that's it. Moon, moon Tide. tide. Okay. Yes, I'm so sorry. Moon Tide. Yeah. Film noir. Mm-hmm. Black and white. Yeah, it was probably the first one. A lot of dark scenes. Were the yes. streets at night rained it looked like it rained the night before we spoke about that with the reflection and how that adds another dimension of texture having been on a lot of production sets it's always interesting to see that right before they they shoot they'll bring out the water truck and that's their job is just to get a a wet down for the entire set and just spray water everywhere and it looks beautiful and then they start shooting at the time uh world war ii was going on and they were going to film it and uh I can't remember where they were going to film it. It was some pro- somewhere in England, I believe. But the war was going on, so they had to do it in the studios. They brought back the actors and did most of it in the studio. Cool. And then the other film I watched is my favorite foreign film of all time. I just had to put this in. Uh, I don't know if I can pronounce it French. You're the French speaker. Just say it. <laughs> L'Infance du Paradis. The Infants of Paradise. Why don't you say The Infants of Paradise instead of butchering French? Yeah, well, I just butchered it, but that (laughs) is my absolute favorite film. I like the way you said it with a French accent. L'Infant de Paris. I find that very erotic. Oh. (laughs) You two get a room. It's not too late, babe. (laughs) Will you do me a favor? Will you take your jacket off for me? It's making a lot of noise, rustling and everything. Rustling this. Just throw it over there. All right, Ira. My week review. Uh, I did see some silly sex romp movie on streaming Why Netflix. Why am I not surprised? Uh, I don't remember the title, and I don't care to even acknowledge it anyway. But I do want to tell you that I know we spoke once before about the uh, the film Zodiac 2007. I mm-hmm. watched two documentaries about it last night, and I think that would count as a film. Documentaries, documentaries about... Documentaries don't count as movies. <laughs> that, that doesn't count. About, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. About the making... One was about the, uh, the making of the film uh and uh, again with uh, directed by uh david um fincher yes thank you david fincher and the other was interviews with the actual people who were still alive uh, survivors and so on and police the mayor of the town and so on both documentaries are quite fascinating and again we acknowledged it a number of weeks ago it's an incredible movie 2007 zodiac so i did watch those two documentaries last night uh that and i'm really I'm ready to watch um, Human Centipede Part 2. Yeah, but It'll happen not soon. Yes, It'll happen yes. soon. What about you, Rob? I, I think we need to place a bet. And the over-under <laughs> is like three months. You're uh, being optimistic. Yeah, right? This uh, this week I watched uh, I watched Nobody Speak, The Trials of the Free Press. Uh, this is basically the, the documentary about Hulk Hogan's uh, court trial. Do you know about what happened to Hulk Hogan? How he sued Gawker for releasing his sex tape? And it, it was really interesting what the, the documentary was getting into as to whether or not you have free press to reveal certain pieces of information when you don't have permission to that, that information in the first place. And you don't have um, it, it, it creates an, a, a kind of controversy when you look at shows like TMZ, where they're, they're basically stalking a lot of celebrities and they're airing this content and they're getting payment for it from their from their, you know, from their, um, what am I trying to say, the commercials, you know what I mean? They're, they're making their money off of the commercials, which is based on the fact that they have celebrities on that show, but the celebrities never agreed to be on that show. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting, and I think that's kind of how Gawker was making a lot of their, they were releasing this news story, and they were getting so much, um, so much press from the release of 
Hulk Hogan's video that he didn't want them to release. What's that noise? That's a helicopter. Oh. Wait, does that count as a siren or a gunshot? Does it? Well, I said... Uh, what did I say? You said either a siren, right? Ambulance, but or gunshot? Didn't we have it down to those two? No, I don't think... That's can, definitely not a gunshot or a siren. Well, yeah, but can this count as one? No, I don't think I so. don't get to ask the two to remove their... Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen the look I just got from Robert's mom. We really need to make this a video <laughs> podcast because there's so many great looks that, that are passed back and forth between everyone. Anyway, that's the movie that I watched. I, uh, I also checked out another documentary... Uh, called uh, it was the American Experience is the series that PBS did and it was about the blackout the uh, the blackout in New York City in the 1970s and it was really interesting and it kind of compared the blackout in the 70s to the one that happened in the 60s that's right and what the differences were between like the causes of the blackout but also what culturally was going on with New York City at the time uh, also when the blackout happened you know the blackout happened uh, in the 60s, it happened at a time when people were still at work and they had plenty of time to kind of lock up securely and things like that. But the blackout in the 70s happened at night and there was a lot more looting and rioting and right. things uh, that led to more violence, ultimately. Do they also acknowledge that nine months later there were a lot of babies being born? Was no, that, they didn't no? mention that. No, it was really about that, mm. that, that particular night, like during the blackout. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's actually true. I don't. I think, that I, might think be a myth. A, I really think it's an urban legend. I think it's an urban legend during a blackout that yeah. people stup. Yeah. I. I don't. I actually that'd be interesting to look into, wouldn't it? Mom, what did you think about the blackout? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm asking you. What do you think about no, it? You, you, you remember it? The blackout during the '70s in New York City. Uh, what did I think? Oh. Uh. Well, I, I just remember that a lot of people uh, were laughing nine months later. <laughs> but I mean, were there there were reports of all this violence that were happening at the time? Do you remember hearing about that? The riots and the looting and stuff no, like that? there wasn't that much. I think most people just kind of accepted it. But nine months later, there was a spike in childbirth. Well, you remember? <laughs> so the, I, the, I don't think they were rioting. I think they were. Well, they were rioting. I mean, there were mass arrests. There were people that were murdered and stuff like yeah. that. There was a lot of riots. Lootery, looting. Yeah, they looting. said that uh, there were big pockets of Manhattan that weren't even aware that the rest of New York was on fire and was having a lot of really bad problems. Do you remember the 2003 New York blackout or the Northeast blackout? Mom, you were, weren't you living in Washington, D.C. at that time? Probably. I don't pay attention to blackouts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's not on my radar. It's okay, well, I live you're, you're in my own real, world. Real helpful here. I know. <laughs> well, let's talk about who died this week. Ah, who died this week? This is a feature called "The Dead Corner," and now the moment we have to say the following people passed away. Gotta tell you, unfortunately, we must. The following people have turned to dust. Very good. Who's dead? Okay, who's who's dead? All right, I'm go, I'm going to run with this. Okay, a few um, somewhat obscure people we want to acknowledge, and a couple of uh, more notable people have left us, left us as well. Uh, Trevor Baxter, 84, British actor, Doctor Who, Bellstrom, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, also a playwright. We have a Canadian actor, Cagney and Lacey, but he was also in Meatballs. Harvey Atkin. Uh, there was uh, American actor and stuntman. Uh, his name was. 
Red West, 81 years old. That's a good stuntman's name, it's, it's Red West. It's a perfect West. name. He's in Wild Wild West and so on. You know, I do want to say that he's our third stuntman we've lost. We had the elderly gentleman who was president of the Stuntman's Association. We had that horrible accident that happened on the set of a young man in his 30s right. in Walking Dead. And then we lost Red. So these... um. These stuntmen have to be more careful. Well, but to be fair, we've lost a ton of actors. It's true. I know. So, yeah. I mean, it only yeah. stands for, how, so the how did this guy die? How did Red West die? Well, I know it was 81, so maybe it was just time. Well, are you sure you didn't die from aortic aneurysm? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was it, too. <laughs> <laughs> he was 81. He probably wasn't doing, you know, big free falls. Uh, one more, somewhat obscure for us, but I do want to mention Miss Deborah Watling, 69, English actress. Uh, she was in Doctor Who, The Invisible Man of Lung Cancer. However, we need to acknowledge two more, no, more notable people. John Hurd, a 71 American actor. He was in Home Alone and uh, Prison Break, and he was in Big, the movie Big. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, it was sad. I saw that. Hmm? It was sad. Yeah, it was very sad. May, may I say also, I have trouble with three names of actors only three there, yeah well actually <laughs> there's there's a put a couple zeros by john that. hurt william hurt and john heard this what's confusing about that <laughs> you know are you able to distinguish one from the other hi john i'm john hurt william hi hurt. i'm john hurt okay hi i'm william hurt okay so john hurt of course the older He's, well, the he, real John Hurt. Oh, John, <laughs> please stand up. I uh, am John Hurt. No, I am John Hurt. Well, he's not hurt anymore. He's he's dead. He was the older gentleman, and um, and then so which one? Died? Wait, I'll tell you that William William Hurt. Now he was in Truman Show. You know who he is. Yeah. William Hurt is a terrific actor. Yeah, is he dead? No, he's actually of the three. He's <laughs> soon, not yet. Okay, not yet. But John Hurt, John Hurt, seventy one, left us. God, you're going to be. 70 next week. Yeah, whatever. What, what? Uh, do you need to rub that into him? <laughs> What's the your point, Robert's mom? 365 days. Oh, mom, what an awful thing I to know. say to somebody. <laughs> he would do it to me in a heartbeat. I don't think he would. You like me, don't you? <laughs> I'm in love with you. I know. I think it's time we acknowledge that. Except for you Let's work. Get, hmm? you, you, you were minding your manners about your rabbi, but you weren't minding your manners Honey, I told you this. I'll about... say it again. You need a good Jew in your life. <laughs> Look at Robert. Again, I wish we could see Robert. I'm just watching with, with bated breath. <laughs> One more. A very extremely notable gentleman left us. Truly a legend. Mm. Uh, Kirk Douglas passed away. Yeah. He passed no! away. He was when? born in um, December 9th, 1916. And... Um, in the golden age of film, the strange, uh, uh, the strange love of Martha Ives. We should mention Spartacus. So many things that he yeah. he produced. An incredible actor, truly a legend. His whole family is a legend, and he's been ailing for quite a while. Uh, the incredible oh, uh, uh, Kirk Douglas left us. He's probably one of my favorite actors of all time. I don't. I, must I think have you been mean out. was one of your favorite actors. Yeah. Yeah. He's dead now. Yeah. Not to be Can confused with John Hurt. Who also would? Okay, never mind. So, what day did he die? It was. It was actually coming over here. It happened about an hour and a half ago. So I figured you'd be hearing oh, this for the first time. Because I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, I yeah, thought, how true. did I miss that? Yeah. He's yeah. like an icon. Oh, is he like an icon? Well. Let's get rid of the word "like." I think he is an icon. Yeah, he is yes. was was. He right. and uh, Olivia De Havilland. I was thinking about Kirk Douglas because I was uh, thinking about Olivia De Havilland being 101. And I said, well, I wonder if He's 101, Kirk... too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 
I guess, and Olivia de Havilland is still the last one standing. Her neck's on the chopping block. Let me acknowledge she produced and starred in Lonely or the Brave, considered a cult classic, Seven Days in May with Burt Lancaster. He made seven films with Burt Lancaster. In 1963, he starred in the Broadway play One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and his son, Michael Douglas, um, oh, uh, that's his produced son? that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but his son produced the film. Right. So, He's Kirk Douglas, American legend. Well, he's dead. Uh, okay. I'm going to cry. You Let's talk about Dunkirk. You sprung <laughs> that on me. Uh, now I'm going to cry. It's okay. You had a good, whole, fulfilling life. <laughs> Let's talk about Dunkirk, shall we? Robert, once again, you were really good at talking us through it in broad strokes. Okay. Dunkirk is three stories that are all taking place on the French beach of Dunkirk. And... They all three kind of intertwine, even though the, their time, their pacing takes place uh, over different time periods. For example, the first story is about the soldiers trying to get off the beach, and that takes place over the course of a week. There's a story of a sailor who is a private citizen from England who's set out on his own little yacht to try to save some of these sailors and bring them back to the British Isles. That story takes place over the course of a day, and then there's the course of an hour for a uh, a pilot in a, in a spitfire who's trying to shoot down all the German Luftwaffe. Is that right? So mm -hmm. there you go. That's pretty much it. And it's all about how these three stories kind of interconnect and try to get these British soldiers off the, off the shores of the French beach and back, back home safe. So, Mom, before we get too far into the movie, I wanted to ask you a little bit, because you know historically a little bit about this. This movie didn't do a very a very thorough background about setting up why they were in retreat. That was the whole point of the movie. That was Is, the point of the movie or that was, that was what you would have liked to have They just drop kicked us right at the very end of the whole story of Dunkirk. I mean, it was like, we well, were I, I think up. that's, that's the, the aspect of the movie was that they were trying to cover the one element of the British you know, the British citizens coming over to save these people. I think that's what they wanted to focus on within the, within the movie. But if you don't know the backstory, you're just going to be totally confused. It's no, just going to seem like a disaster movie to you. There's been a lot written about this very point we're discussing. It's, and the lack of backstory and stuff. I could not, not believe it. I was stunned. The audience certainly was not spoon-fed. Uh, there was no, the proverbial map where they show arrows, right. you know, that cliche that we've seen for war movies in the 50s and the early 60s, that there's an assumption that the audience has done their homework and they know what's going on. But may I suggest that before we go any farther, perhaps either you, Robert, or your mother could tell us about the significance of, Gun of Dunkirk. Why does that matter and so that's much? that's what I'm saying. That's and what I'd like to talk about first. And that's why I'd love to have you here. And then we'll shift to the movie. Yeah, Are you cool with I that? I think so. What's the deal with that place? Okay, we have to start with the phony war. I'm sure a lot of you studied that in school. The well, let's phony pretend war. we haven't. I mean, okay. Ira. We'll in pretend 1939, Ira. <laughs> Germany invaded Poland. So this was the catalyst for the starting of the uh, Allies declaring war on Germany. They sent troops into France. Uh, England sent troops, and the French moved to... Uh, Poland. They were going to defend Poland because they had an agreement with Poland. Uh, if there was an attack on them, that they would come to their rescue. Uh, but the Germans were so strong, they were so well prepared for war, 
and the French and the English were not at all prepared. They pretty much fought. Well, they uh, had the Maginot Line, right? Yeah, so. the Maginot. There was a Siegfried Line, and then across the border was the Maginot Line. But the the Blitzkrieg was mostly tank warfare, and they were excellent. The Germans were just terrific in strategy, and uh, they pushed the French back and kept pushing them back, pushing them, pushing them, and they had to withdraw after every battle. And the French troops and the English troops were just worn out because they were not getting sleep. They were fighting battles, but the Germans just kept moving, and they kept moving the tanks uh, westward, pushing them back further to the coast. And uh, there's a speculation and rumor or whatever you want to say that the Germans were on amphetamines. PCP? Yeah, they were literally on drugs. Oh, and wow. they could stay up for hours on end, like three days in a row without sleep. And this was mystifying the other soldiers because they didn't have time to rest to fight. So they finally had to withdraw every battle until they were pushed up near Dunkirk. Uh but there was a couple of battles that if they had pursued it, they could have... Who's they? The Germans or the, the French? The French and the English. The, it was the Brit British Expeditionary Force and the French. Uh, they were fighting t almost together. Uh, but there were a couple of battles. If they would have pursued it a little bit more, they could have actually trapped the Germans and stopped them. This was brought out in the Nuremberg uh, trials. Right, but let, let's talk about the significance of Dunkirk. Okay, so they were pushed up to Dunkirk, and meanwhile, uh, the Germans were about to just uh, surround them and kill them all. But then there was a halt to this, and nobody knows why, but we found out much later that uh, Hitler had uh, proclaimed all of his top generals come to his uh, headquarters and this was in uh, in, in uh, Germany, and he said, he says, why did you plant, why were you pushing them all the way up to the coast, and you didn't ask me, you know, before you were ready to attack them in general, I mean, just actually slaughter them, and the generals, because it was a good strategy, and they would have won the the war, and uh, he said, no, he says, you're not to do that. You come to me first and ask for that, you know, permission to do this. So meanwhile, this is what happened in Dunkirk. Uh, so it uh, basically gives them a little bit of time. Yes, it to, gives to them escape. time to kind of get their act together to, to get a rescue going. So it was called Operation Dynamo. That's what the British and the British primarily wanted to get their soldiers out because they didn't have that many men and they needed their men to fight the war if it came to England. Right. So that's why they, you know, in this movie it talks about, you know, they're turning away the French. Right. Actually, there were some French that did get rescued and went to Dover, but primarily this was to get the British out to fight because they knew the Germans were coming to, to England. England. Right. Mm -hmm. Here's my question. If the Allied troops had not been evacuated from Dunkirk, how would that have affected the war? It, it probably would have, the Allied forces wouldn't have been strong at all. I mean, the Americans would have had stepped in, but... Would we have still stepped in? Well, we were supplying England and France with weapons because they didn't have, they were woefully unprepared for the war, extremely. 
and there's even more rumors and I'm sure a lot of your reading or listening audience could uh, have heard about Pearl Harbor was well known to Roosevelt and Churchill and it was kind of planned the Pearl Harbor just to get us involved. I don't think that's true. Though. I mean, I yeah, well, I think they, that's conspiracy. They, they believe it wasn't planned by the Americans, but that the Americans knew about it but before I, it happened. I think that's largely been considered conspiracy. That, yeah. yeah. I don't believe but that. People but the Americans, that. well, you've got to give a little bit of credence. You have to think about it. You can't just be spoon-fed everything that, you know, you read in the history books. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. No, that, I mean, I, I would consider that. But what you're saying is that a president would willfully allow thousands of people to well, die. And that is if you're in the thoughts of, well, if you save 10 men and you, you're killing 100,000 men. But why why have anyone die why not just say we're going to war it's time because the americans would not accept it at the time they didn't want to get involved but in that's war. spoon that's believing everything you've been spoon-fed that americans wouldn't go to war many americans were i mean financially crippled and there were all sorts of i mean um, well i said it was trade embargoes i'm not were... saying it was true but i am putting that out there because you know your listening audience yeah. needs to know that there are people that truly believe that, and there's a lot of supporting evidence that there is. Mm, I'm not sure if I believe that, but go ahead. But I want to ask you this, and there's been so much of late because of the film, and I want to ask you if this is hyperbole or not, that people have been making the argument, war historians saying that if indeed those Allied troops had not been evacuated from Dunkirk, Nazi Germany would have won the war. I would tend to think so. And there's a significance. Not for a long time. I don't, I think, mean, I, I think, I don't think he would have won the war. I think he would have... He, but it would have been a very different war. Yes. Yeah. And I think it Well, it the would Soviet have Union was in cahoots with Germany at the beginning of the war. Right. And so, yes, he probably would have, you know, had a lot of power because that would have been the Soviet Union and the... But Axis he was powers. never... I mean, he was never going to extend himself to this total world dominational control i mean america would have not for a thousand years like he said right not as america would have had to have stepped in it would have been a lot harder on us than it already was but i i think you know i think you would have had other countries like canada and australia and new zealand who would have had to become the yanks even more (laughs) i think they would have had to become even more involved than they already were but I, i i think what we're what we're saying is that oh, it would have all been over if he had just, if he had just killed those people. It's not that I, simple. I don't think it is that simple. But I think, I think it would have had a very big impact on uh, the Allied. And, and who's? How do you know that? How do you calculate that? That's an impossibility to calculate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the movie itself. Okay. Now, Mama, I was getting the sense just reading your body language that. You are not a fan of this movie. Not at all. I could tell. And I yeah. know you paid for it. I feel so bad. <laughs> for $13. The Jew, the Jew the paid 13. for it. So we go see see Hitler. Oh, look at the uh-huh. irony. Look at the irony there. <laughs> so what did you not like about the movie? Oh, I thought it was, if I have to say it bluntly, it's like a millennial directed this movie. I, I don't know who the wardrobe people were. It was like they went to Nordstrom to buy the clothes for these troops and, and also the people on the ships. He was wearing tweeds for crying out loud. 
the the guy that was on the pleasure craft mm-hmm. he was wearing tweeds and a vest and not a speck of dirt on him and the young brother the younger brother in a nice sweater and you're going well, everything looks perfect you know everything yeah. all the hair is just no beards no growth no no grunge no no guts and glory no sweat no chaos everything looked like it was all orderly except for the the planned chaotic scenes it just all looked like it was all laid so you're, out you're referencing the civilians who hop in their their own private sailboats and they're sailing off and they all look spotless and clean that, that's yeah, what you're and saying the guy right? that was on the on the uh the pleasure boat the brother that died the, that's what i'm talking yes, about yes yeah, they that, were that all whole... well dressed and their clothes were too immaculate well, these being... were not soldiers. These these were not. But I do think she has a point. They are sailors, right? And they're right. going to be rough, and their their clothes are going to be threadbare. They're going to be wearing uh, rain jackets, sweats, and you know, just jeans or whatever. They're not going to be wearing tweed pants. For crying out loud, it was just too. She's got a decent point. It was yeah, too yeah. groomed. I mean, these were like pleasure yachts, weren't they? No, they were. They, they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They were like fishing boats. Mm, I think there was a I lot think of... I it was more... There were some pleasure crafts, yeah, but there yeah. were all kinds of ships well, and I boats think there, and... there were people like there in canoes and stuff that were like trying to yep. get these guys back. So, I mean, it was... But you're not... And then there was a lady standing on, on deck with high heels. I said, who is the wardrobe? It was That like, was my money shot. Buddy. That, that <laughs> was kind of like, come on now, is this a fashion show or... I think they should have fired the wardrobe head and got somebody from the 1940s. <laughs> Actually gotten someone from the 1940s? Yes, yes, the yes. soldiers themselves, I think, you were Well, not in just fact, most of the soldiers were nude. They were wearing coats when they were on the beaches because the clothes would weigh them down if they had to swim in the water. So they were mostly barefoot. And uh, also on the uh, in the film scenes where they're doing a panoramic view or an aerial shot rather of the beaches, it's all pristine and flat. Actually, there were thousands and thousands of foxholes. They had to get down, covered up pretty much to their necks in the sand for the uh, hmm. to protect themselves from the Stuka dive bombers, and uh, those. Uh, those bombers were coming in. They would start like at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they did not let up until dark. I mean, like every half hour, they would just come in, just come in. And these Stuka bombers, they had a siren, uh, what I would kind of equate to the rebel yell in the Civil War. Right. They would go, this like, real high-pitched I've read sound. That and it comes in really loud as closer you and it was frightening for the men it was just totally psychologically uh and that siren that sound was only put there to intimidate it it was it was like the rebel yell it was what i was comparing it to an analogy uh the rebel yell was to scare but that is a war tactic that has gone since ancient days you always scare the enemy with some loud noise Mm. so that's what they were doing. You know, I thought that was actually done pretty well in the movie. The opening bomb scenes where the German airplane was dropping a lot of these bombs, that that sound was so loud and so deafening. Yes. And I give that film, it's going to win the Oscar for sound. <laughs> it will. Absolutely. I think it will. You know, Nolan also used uh, actual 
World War II German machine guns when recording. So what you were oh, okay. hearing, yes, he uh, actually... I knew, I knew it. He it went is, to the it, source. He didn't want to hear just... Rat, 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 but he actually had German World War II machine guns mm-hmm. and used that as the sounds in the film that we heard. Well, I, I think, Mom, you've got a good point in terms of the clothes that, that a lot of the characters were wearing were maybe a little too pristine. They looked a little too bright and a little too clean, and the hair was just a little too immaculate. That always bothers me and when they I'm looked, seeing that. It looked to me like... There were a lot of extras that were hired and say, okay, go stand on the beach. And when the bombers come in, you all fall down at the same time. It was just like, it, it, they, the men weren't like that. They were in foxholes, some were in huddles, some were scattered, some were bending over. Some of them were standing up. Some of them were all huddled together. And it wasn't like they were all arranged nicely. And they say, okay, here comes the bomber. You go down. Yeah. There was a moment, too, when that bad plane, when the plane went down and all the all the Allied troops went, hooray! Yeah. Like, and they in all unison. Did it, and and yes. I could see the assistant director say, like, on my signal, now. And they all went, yes. it was too... Uh, yeah, and with t- their one too, hand, and they didn't... Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. You know, whenever some, whenever you're excited and you're jubilant, you're yeah. not going to do yeah. just... Jubilant? Ju- why, are you saying, why are you saying that to Ira? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I bought Jube. Your, hey, I bought your ticket. Oh, you thirteen? No, it was thirteen. Unlucky thirteen. Okay, so wait. When you're when you are jubilant, what happens? Your whole body just expresses. It's not just your hands and your one arm going up, and everybody's right hand was going up. It was like. The worst directed movie I've ever seen. I mean, I give well, that. Well, film. I, I don't know if I would jump that far. I can uh, point to a I few would. movies that maybe you need to see. Directed, if, the one I've seen, that was. I would give that film. I think there was a some really D minus. I think there was oh, some no, really nice. No, D no, no, no. minus. I don't think you mean that. Okay, D. Wow. You know what? This is the. This was not that bad of a movie, Mom. I, 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 maybe you, oh, it just caught you in a bad mood or well, something. Well, I'm a fan of war movies, movie. and this is not. <laughs> I think this was a decent entry into the uh, into the war genre. I think it's got some nicer points to it. There was, I mean, the the guy who was in shell shock who gets on on board the boat who refuses to go back. That was nicely acted, and um, I think a lot of the characters were nicely acted. I, I don't think there was a problem with the acting. So as far as that that kind of direction, I felt like. Christopher Nolan did a good job of directing. This is one of the most acclaimed directors of our era, so he knows his way around actors. <laughs> the one thing that I noticed, <laughs> Mom put a gun to her head. Uh, one of the things that I noticed is that, okay, so Christopher Nolan is British. Uh, they bring in a lot of British actors to play these parts, but, and this is a British story, but it's kind of an American film. I mean, the, it felt very... The, the hooray kind of scene that you're talking about, that felt very American. It felt kind of like what you would expect in an American movie. The structure of the movie felt very European. It felt There were a lot of elements to it that felt very European, but the overall message of like, these are our boys, that felt very American, like the kind of American um, war movies that we're used to seeing. Do you know especially, what I'm saying? I, of course, I know what you're saying, especially in the end, right? Yes. In the last 15 minutes, yeah. you had that feeling, right? Right, and that, that's really where it started coming through. I'm going, boy, this really feels like America, right? And right. Just, we've taken off the American flag and put on British flags. We put on the Union Jack instead of the Stars and Stripes. Oh, that's right. That one shot of all the boats, the whole armada of boats with the flags, right? That with all the British flags coming together, did feel very uh, so. I American. think in that way, I I would have liked a more 
uh, a more British feel to it. I mean, it was such a British story. I just didn't like that approach. It just felt like they were trying to be American. And it's not an American story. It's a British story. It's a European story. Right. Isn't it interesting? The movie was financed by England and France and the Netherlands. Uh, Those countries put up all the funding for the movie, yet it had an American feel to it. Yeah. And I would say there probably wasn't a whole lot of American influence except for the the end. It, It just felt a little... Yeah, we done good, yeah. you know, and yeah. even though they were treated. Yeah, they did. Cowards. <laughs> you <laughs> so were going there, Robert. Wait. You were about to say that. Uh, well, no, don't no, don't take that lightly because the French thought the exact same thing and they to this day they haven't forgiven them. They said that they deserted and even the British troops uh when they went back home on their way home they said we're really not going to be liked we're going to get really really raked over the coals and they were dreading going home they really were and they were shocked when they got such a good reception they said welcome home uh dunkirk veterans and they were totally surprised because they were so ashamed but the french were furious the french were just furious because they felt like they'd been uh, just left to fight by themselves. Well, they really were. They and were. they were. But uh, there were like 123 that did get on the ships. So they did save. There were a lot of dogs that were saved. French <laughs> dogs. 123. Oh, great. We have all the poodles here. That we <laughs> I know. There were a lot of dogs. But the French were left. At, the rear guard was left to fight the Germans. And the Germans were closing in. Sorry, Francois. we got to make room for Skippy. Come here, boy. Come on. <laughs> they did. There were ships full of dogs. Are French poodles really from France? I don't know. Is it no, matter? I wonder. I know. I just it's the cut. The cut? The, the French, oh, the French poodle cut. cut. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Well, I want to talk, we kind of broached this a little bit. I want to talk to you about the unique narrative of the film. Yeah, the nonlinear. And that's exactly structure. it. You're reading my mind once again. The nonlinear narrative. So and that's what bothered you. Disconnected. And so you're, disconnected. now you're reading my mind. You're both reading my mind. <sighs> I was going to say, was there a disconnect for you? Uh, was there a lack of empathy? that you really didn't get to know these characters. Now, Nothing obviously, this all. is a, may I just share something with you? This is a direct quote from, from the director. He said that the empathy for the characters has nothing to do with their backstory, that we don't care about their backstory. Uh, I don't want to go through the dialogue and tell the story of their characters. The problem is not who they are, who they pretend to be, or where they come from. The only question I was interested in, will they get out of it? Uh, will they be killed by the next bomb while trying to join the mole, or will they be crushed in a boat while while crossing? So obviously that was a conscious choice in the script. But because but of this device, the whole point of we are not we're not invested in their rescue. Wait, you're saying he's missing his whole point. This is his. No, point. no. I'm saying the director is right. missing the whole. No, point. but what I'm saying is you're missing the director's point. This is Christopher Nolan's point. Well, you're, it may you're saying be. Here, this what's be who's, who's he point. making the film for himself? Possibly. Oh, I thought he was look, making. That's an auteur approach. It depends on how you view it. Well, I thought the film was supposed to be for the viewing audience, so the That's viewing one way audience to look at it. is not invested in their rescue if they don't feel like they have a connection. Were you detached from the characters for this reason? No, I didn't feel like I was detached. I, I, I never really. When people say that about a movie. I very rarely support that. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for a while, and we've seen all types of movies. Have you ever heard me say, I didn't feel enough out of the character? I I don't usually say that. I'll go with you. 
I understand that Tom Hardy is a pilot. I don't need to know his backstory. Right. I don't feel detached from him. I understand right. he's got a problem. And he's, I mean, you're cutting from a shot of his, the numbers that represent how much fuel he has back to his eyes and he's darting his eyes around and everything. This is the, That's what matters. That is, it's the same kind of, if you look at the close up of Al Pacino in The Godfather when he has to decide whether or not he's going to blow away the guy's head in the in the diner scene do you know what i'm talking about in, yeah but in the you God have the listen to what story. i'm saying so <laughs> as if you look at that shot all it is is just al pacino's eyes darting back and forth it shows a lot of uh of indecision and the same thing was happening with tom hardy he's glancing all around he's deciding whether or not to go forward and I, that's enough for me i don't need to know his whole background sorry now go ahead and now she's <laughs> we're just we're at an impasse here because I'm totally with you, Ira. I just well, I'm not sure. I know you're I on one side. Connected. Robert's on the other. <clears throat> I'm kind of wavering on this. I like the pilot scene I, was good, Robert, but we, the soldiers yeah, oh, the and the ship scene, and we've spoken a lot about this, Robert, about the need or lack of need for backstory. We've talked about this a lot. Yeah, and we come to the conclusion we don't need to know the backstory about the characters, where they came from, what's their motivation, blah. It's just the close-ups on their faces that we get it. We can relate to who they are it was still unique in the story it was not a traditional it was not a traditional act one act two act three but and nolan spent a lot of time in the screenplay he even broke it down mathematically about you know air and land and the um and the sea the wanting whole, the ratio of the time sure. to reflect it's, all that, it, that he put that all points to, to his calculation the whole it, movie was calculated yeah, I and I think that what you said earlier, I think that is a fair critique, and the actors not looking sea worn enough, and I buy that. I think that's a that's something true. But the idea of not knowing their backstory that doesn't. Well, I mean the connection. I don't need that. No, I don't mean the backstory of the history. It needs to. I disagree. I think we automatically know. Okay, here we are. We're in France. That's all you need to know. And in fact, at the very beginning. And this is one of my points. At the uh, one of my things that I wrote down, one of the notes I wrote, in the very opening few shots, it shows it shows one of our main characters running through the streets of France, trying to escape what what seems to be we don't know who's shooting at it, but it, ostensibly it's the Germans. And in, interspliced between that are these title cards of the British and French are trapped. We don't even need to know all that. I, you know what I. I did read some reviews, and it's You're interesting. You're such a minimalist, I no, Robert. Robert. I didn't expect to see those title cards at the beginning. Why do we have that? Because I thought that we're not going to be spoon fed. But with that one example, we were being spoon fed. But those it was, words on and, the screen were helping us. If you looked at what us. it said, it said nothing. It well, was like you know, they hope, were waiting for their hope. Hope. It ended with the word hope. That, yeah, I, like, that, who cares? That, what What are you doing? Yeah. Stop with that. It almost didn't it's need unneeded. that. Is what you're saying? I, the only thing that we that we really kind of needed was to know that the French. And the British are stuck because they're they're backed up to the edge of the sea. But you actually get that in the flyers, the you know the pamphlets that are being dropped down, the propaganda that the that the Germans are dropping on them, and it says, "You're here, we surround you." Okay, that's it. That's all we need. Those that was pamphlets. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Do people still have those? Oh, that's a good question. That'd I be know. A really interesting. Isn't that war pam- memorial? Yeah. You're I guess, surrounded. Memento. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet collectors have those. As far as the cinematography, it seemed like it was just like one small area. Everything was happening in this one mile radius. But actually, that whole Dunkirk 
seen was France to Belgium. That was 10 miles mm. that they had to evacuate. And on the Belgian end, on the eastern end, that's where most of the rescue was taking place because they could the ships could get in there easier and load up more men quickly, like 20 minutes, whereas right there at Dunkirk, it took 12 hours to lead load up men. Because of the... The water Because the issues? ships were being torpedoed. Mm. There were actually landmines there in Dunkirk, and also they were getting bombed, so they were getting it at all ends. But the, and they couldn't, the ships, destroyers couldn't go in, and the battleships couldn't go in because they would run aground. So they couldn't get too close, and the men were swimming out to the boats, drowning by the thousands. I mean, they showed maybe 10 bodies on, three bodies, I think, yeah. on the sand. There were thousands of body parts, all kinds of ammunition all over. Like I said, the aerial scene was pristine. Yeah. But there I, was equipment I, everywhere. And then you had the anti-aircraft, the guns, you know, trying to shoot down the bombers. They didn't have anything, no weapons, no artillery or nothing. I, I would expect to see more... At- at least of the artillery, just like spent shell casings and things and like that. You'd see trash and garbage and debris everywhere, and there More was loss nothing. of limbs. Yeah. And there were just the men were standing all in a row, and they were standing there waiting, and nobody was moving. They were just like rigid. Like drones. Like, I, I imagine, like, a, I was thinking to myself, it's like a, a child, you know, placing tin soldiers on yeah. a table and... Yeah, yeah, I was wondering if it was really like that when they were standing on the beach in those perfect they rows. They had to wait. Was that, but I mean, when, uh, I'm assuming it had to be realistic. Oh, by the way, it's, whenever the opening scene, it says the three scenes was the mole right. and uh, the sea and the air. A mole is another word for pier. Right. So that that might be a little confusing because we think of a oh. mole as being a spy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they actually used or lorries. A uh, that's a British word. Uh, mole and uh, also uh lorries uh, same thing for trucks right so that was actually a mole uh, they would line up these uh trucks and put them out in the water and they and we would saw a little bit of that truck. we saw yes. a shot of that yeah. but there wasn't enough of that really being displayed but whenever for they did go on the pier i'm going to use the word pier because i know that's what i relate uh they had to take a number and uh, Admiral uh, William Tennant was the admiral in the movie. But he Kenneth Branagh. Uh, well, he was... He, William Tennant is the actual admiral that was in charge of the... I Dunkirk. just know him as Captain Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> well, Tennant was in charge of getting all those people off the uh, beach. And uh, so he uh, ordered that everyone take a number on the pier... And like one through whatever, they just get one of those little deli like and take a number things. And he says now, whenever the they, ship, whenever the, the little ship, red counter, yeah, yeah, they're always when red. When we get they're close to in. the ship, what we're gonna do is you have to start running because the faster you run, that means more people can get on. But they only had like these two wooden planks to, from the pier to the ship. They didn't have. You know, some kind of a, what do you call it? A, a boardwalk or what What do you call those Gang things? Gangplank. Gangplanks. I was trying to think of what that word was. They didn't have that. They had to use, they had to improvise. So they put the planks down and some of the men had vertigo and they couldn't cross over. They got scared and they froze, but they looked down and some of them did fall. 
and some of them had to be pushed, some of them had to be lifted, and it was a mess. Right. Let's talk about the movie, though. There's more we, to we, discuss here I with do the want movie. to say, by the way, yeah, that it was a, um, a co-production between the United Kingdom, United States, France, and the Netherlands. I just wanted to clarify that point. And Germany. <laughs> Not... Okay, go ahead. Let's talk about the movie. <laughs> So we were talking earlier about the cinematography. Uh, I mean, were there any shots that you thought were nice or beautiful? What, what were your thoughts about the cinematography? I liked the fire, the oil and the fire on the water. Me too. That was one of my money shots. That, yeah. that to me was very warlike mm. because that did happen. And actually they had some of the smoke in the distance. That was not a good shot because really... It was blackened. The whole beach was blackened continually. And it, it helped in a way because the bombers couldn't see the beach, you know, and they were just strafing, you know, on the beach. But but in terms of the cinematography, what any other thoughts? Anything else that really gorgeous. was striking? Gorgeous. I thought a lot of the air, it was the air battles were really beautiful. It was beautiful. incredible. Yeah. The, the air battles, I've never seen air battles quite like that before. Um, the, the the long shots, the master shots of right. the beach, they, they were it was incredibly beautifully photographed. The claustrophobia, the claustrophobic shots, yeah. all that was done was done really well. I think it was a marvel to look at. I thought one of the really interesting moments was when all the sailors were put onto the ship and then it got torpedoed and how almost instantly everyone was underwater. That was really interesting and I I like that moment cinematically. I wonder how fast it takes to sink a destroyer. Because it went black, didn't it? It went didn't it go pitch black yeah. for a second, and that was interesting to me. I I guess it would go pitch black, but yeah, I, I guess it would go black. I mean, it might lose power, but I don't know that. I mean, some of these destroyers are being sunk in a matter of. Uh, I mean, it looked like under five minutes they were underwater, and I don't no, know, it takes it, a little longer than that. That's what I what I thought because even when they scuttle ships, it's not super fast, and they're trying to sink them quickly, you know, and. I, I don't know how you how you sink a boat that I guess quickly. it depends on where it's hit. That's probably true, but there were several destroyers that seemed to... Was it two or three of them that, that, that got sh- torpedoed or bombed? Or, you know, they were strafing these yeah. these destroyers. I mean, the one airplane just flew over. It dropped... It looked like four bombs, and the destroyer was gone in just a matter of seconds. And I just don't know that I... I don't know that it's that fast. Don't you think it would have better defenses? As the guy said at the movie, he says, that's why I'm in the Navy and you're in the Army. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that was a really good line. <laughs> that and, was yeah. a great line. <laughs> that's true. That's why I'm on a podcast and they're, you know. They're, they're the, making the movie. They're making the movie. I don't know. And, but maybe they do have to speed that up just in terms of storytelling time. I, I don't know. But it seemed rather quick to me. I, I would have loved someone to address that aspect. I would have loved someone to have said, I've never seen a ship sink that fast. And then I would have gone, okay, cool. I guess that was something that happened. Just to, to address it makes me settle down a little bit. But right. Man, that happened really quickly. Yeah, I, I kind of have to. <laughs> I'm just tagging on another, tacking on another critique, criticism of the film. That's why we have a podcast. You... Siren. Ah. Siren. Take off a sock? A shoe? I'll take, take off a sock. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Were you on both socks? At least. We should explain this. What is this, strip poker? It's the strip siren. (laughs) Every time we hear a siren, the first person acknowledged it. Ask the other two people, yourself included. Okay, lady, let's have it. (laughs) Kick them off. (laughs) You better hope there's no natural disasters that happen while we're making this podcast. 
Um, no, what I was going to say is the worst part of the movie is back to that, you know, the clothing and all of that. The younger brother, the blonde. Mm. On the book, the c- he's civilians. He's telling the guy with the, with the shell shock at the end, he says something. He says, go downstairs. And I went, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. My ex-husband owned a, a sailboat, real nice sailboat. And he would get mad at me if I'd say, go downstairs. He downstairs. says, it's not downstairs, Rebecca. It's down below. <laughs> so you talk nautical. And uh, that guy oh, would have said oh. down below. Yeah, he you're would right. not wow. have said go downstairs. Yeah. He said, get below, get below. Down below. Yeah. And I knew, that's when I just said, that movie is badly good catch yeah yeah <laughs> no only because of my ex-husband you know when you're on a boat you speak nautical. yeah i believe it it's every, every single person i've starboard. ever known that's had a sailboat says down that's how they they talk they speak the lingo and i think it's an important part of their the culture but i also think the kind of guy who's going to own a, a boat and then sail it into battle and know the sounds of the spitfires and things like that, he would not make that mistake of saying, go downstairs. Take off. Take off a sock. No, I should. I got it. My shoes are already off, so I'm going to uh, take off a sock. I or- don't. Oh, no. Now I have to smell Hey, dirty feet. All right. This is getting... Juice don't smell. What did you say? I said juice don't smell. Only only when they're put into ovens. What? Well, they do. It's true. Robert. Gypsies, too. I guess. Oh. All right. Wow. Is that the same siren? Uh, that counts as the same. That's the same. Jews don't smell. We Thanks. smell of money, honey. <laughs> <laughs> A pleasure smell. I want to say, may I say a few miscellaneous Please, things? yeah. Um, already the movie has been um, criticized not enough black actors not enough black soldiers Nolan lashed out he you'd like this he lashed out and very offensively said it was the 1940s it was World War II there were very very few if any black soldiers I was going to say African American but they wouldn't be African American they'd be African British if anything and he said black we went yeah I know just black but there were one or two sold in the movie there were one or two but People have already criticized the movie for that, and I thought that was an interesting point. But man, he just he he just was fed up with that argument. Can I speak to that gaffe that you had just said about? I, I was at a, a, a party this weekend, and a guy was telling me that there was a scholarship he'd heard about about this. Uh, they were giving out scholarships to all these African Americans, and this one guy uh, was actually from Africa, and he shows up to get his scholarship. And they say, sir, you can't have this. And he goes, why not? And they say, well, you're white. And he goes, I'm from Africa. He's from South Africa. <laughs> and they wouldn't give him the scholarship money. He said, I am That's very funny. A, That's very an African-American. Yeah. 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 And he sued them and made them have to pay for his scholarship. He, That's very funny. See, because That's it's very... not about color. It's about heritage. Well, I think it is about color. If you want to talk about that, you could just say but black. But they, they, they say they don't want it to be about color. 
I, I, I don't want to get into all okay. this. Okay, but I want to acknowledge that point. Uh, also, that the the kids, the, 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 the soldiers, not the officers who were older, but the soldiers were young, and people were complimenting for that. Because in a lot of American yes. World War II movies, like The Great Escape, was, you know, they were older. But here we had kids who were 18, 19, 20, and 21, and that was a lot more accurate than the way it's often yes. been depicted in Hollywood. You could see how young they were. Right, right. You could see that. And... Um, and 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 uh, also, I, sh- I should acknowledge that Harry Styles, who's he's kind of the shit right now. He's it. He's yeah. really it as a singer. He's very much like um, like uh, Justin Timberlake, a singer performer, and he has a relatively. It's not a large part in the movie, but it was his film uh, his film debut. He was in the boy band One Direction. Just thought I would acknowledge his presence in the film. What's your favorite One Direction song? I don't know, but I like him. He's doing all the late night talk show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not familiar with One Direction, the boy band, but I am familiar with, he did a carpool karaoke with James Corden. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I just thought I would not acknowledge him as well. But again, the thing that was that stood out was the lack of the, um, was the non-traditional expository, the, the, the telling of the story, the narrative. The narrative was very different, was very different. And I can see how some people would find that unsettling. I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was thought provoking. I liked that it wasn't this typical three-act structure. I like that it existed in a multiple time frames. There was... I, I was confused at first because I, I didn't understand what it meant about one week, one day, one hour. I, I didn't quite understand where it was going with that. And when they were cutting back and forth between the daytime shots of the civilians in their boat going to rescue the British soldiers and then the nighttime of the soldiers jumping off the battleship after it had been hit, that was a little... A little jarring for me because I'm going. This is daytime and nighttime. This doesn't line up. It's right. not that. And then I realized, oh, this isn't all happening at the same time. So it took me a minute to kind of understand that how the the whole movie was laid out. But I like that. I like that it, it made me have to think. I like that I had to change my mind in order to understand the movie. And that bit. you were not spoon fed. Yeah. And again, the example I like to use, I said, I said earlier, was it didn't give you the cliche map right. that so many movies did in the 50s where you'd see a map and you'd have arrows that would show you the troops. And sometimes it was an animation. Right. And obviously that it's assuming that your audience is intelligent and they get it. And they did some homework before coming to see this movie. Some homework. I mean, some, I, I do just, think mom made I, a few... Few yeah. points that were kind of interesting, but overall, I do think it was fairly well directed. I thought it was a good movie. What did you think, Ira? Yeah, I, I was impressed with it. Again, the cinematography. I want to talk. We'll talk about the music also, but I'm giving it a um, between a B and a B plus. I would give it a B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, solid mm-hmm. B. Yeah, and then a D. She's shaking her head. That's great, Pod her. Mom. Shaking your head. Shake your head. The D mic- for dog. It's a dog. The mics pick up the shake head real well. <laughs> You wanted to talk about music? Yeah. Was it Hans, Hans Zimmer? Did he do this? I don't know who did Hans the music for this Zimmer. movie. Did you like the music, Robert? Um, there were points where I liked the music because it was very minimal. It was just kind of a don 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 And I like that. I like that it was Oh, I like that. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. But as I've said on this podcast before, when music dictates how you feel, what? Go ahead. No, these are your words, but I acknowledge that we're walking out because we. No, I don't. Want, a few weeks ago, Robert said that, and I think you got this note in in film school. Was it somebody well, in said film it school, to you? My film professor always professor, said he would leave movies when he heard the big the music. big music. It's because that time the music I think is at fault for telling you what you should be feeling. Yeah. Instead of supplementing or interpreting what you're seeing, if it's too heavy-handed and overt, it's a cheap shot. Right. 
And See, the, I do there were a few you. moments where the there music were, was mm-hmm. dictating how we should, what you feel. should be feeling. Yes, I think at the end it got that. Yeah. The hooray! You yeah. know, and I felt that the and big swell. Yes. In music. Yes. And, and that's where I think the movie really starts to fall apart for me is the ending. I I liked it up until about that point, and I I was never in love with the movie, but I liked it. I was always in from the beginning. I was excited to see it, and I thought it delivered. It was a good. It was a good movie, worth checking out. What were your money shots? What are shots about the movie that you will think about as you reflect back on the movie five, ten years from now? Even if you didn't like those right. shots, what are you, you going to think about? Mom, what about you? Uh, probably the, the fire, the soldiers drowning in the fire. In the fire? In the oil. Yeah. Okay. Ira? And that, that was mine also. Um, he was underwater and the burning. Who's he? He, well, he was the American. He was... Our main character? Yes. Okay. Yes. And our, was, our main character on the beachhead who's trying to get Yes, home. thank you. And uh, the plane, a plane had crashed and the oil of the surface, right? And the burning, and he knew he'd burn it, yet he was holding his breath and he had to go up and gasp for air. Also with the um, the pilot with the, the where the propeller stopped. Yeah. And we saw it. It was beautifully photographed. And when he did land, he torched his own plane. Isn't that correct? Yeah. He torched his own plane, and he was in the Germans, and he just gave himself up. And it was beautifully shot. And there's something about that and landing without the propeller rotating, just gliding down, torching the plane, and just holding his hands up when the Germans came. That sequence is also a money shot of mine. That's my big money shot. The cranking of the wheel of the landing gears as it's trying to land on the the beach. Was that animated? The beach scene. And I don't know, but Christopher Nolan does not use very much CG at all. He's very... But it looked like when he was gliding very close, it looked like it was... No, I think they really landed that. And No, really I'm not talking about just prior to that as he was gliding. I seriously doubt it. I think they... I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there on set, so I can't say. But... Yeah, it just looked ah, like a take bit... your... Oh, which one? What? Uh, the other sock. The other sock, yeah. Well, I'm getting off easy. The problem is I don't want you naked next to my mom. Yeah. Um, I just hope there's no more sirens. <laughs> oh, so great. You know, welcome to Robert's neighborhood. I used to hate hearing all the sirens, but now now it's now it's a first a pleasure. Yeah. I've not got much left. <laughs> mom, uh. So you're talking about the the plane landing. Yeah, I don't think that was... It showed another aerial view of the plane, the top of the plane, the beach. Yeah. I think you... Looking down. I think what it probably was was a drone. I mean, some of those drones can fly just as fast as the planes now. So they probably put a drone on. If they have it on... um, If you see it again, just right before he lands... Yeah, I mean, I was definitely recording that in my mind. Digital animated to me. Mm, I don't think it was. Uh, it might have been. I don't know, but I I tend to doubt it. He doesn't. Christopher Nolan doesn't go in for most of that. Whatever stuff. it was, it, that was kind of a nice shot. I, but landing those planes has got to be crazy because you're uh, not. Probably, you, you, to, you can't see over the front yeah. of the nose of the plane, so you're you're just staring you're at right. the sky. You're right. And landing is probably pretty hairy, especially on a beach. I don't know. A controlled crash. Yeah. One of the questions I did have about that, it seemed to be that, uh, so Tom Hardy was the char- was the actor who played that character. He pulls his, his screen back overhead, and he's about to eject, and then he gets this idea of, I'm going to land my plane instead. 
Why didn't he why, just why? eject? I don't understand why he didn't. If it, he was going to do something with the plane to crash into... Crash it into the enemy lines. Yeah. And wipe out some bad people. But he didn't. didn't. He just landed. And instead, if he'd ejected, he could have joined everybody that was going home. Yeah. Because it looked like he went to the very edge of where the soldiers were all lined up, and then he kept flying. Right. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want the Germans to capture the plane. Then he could have crashed into the ocean. No. He could have. He could have angled it toward. I mean, he had enough. He had enough room to maneuver over towards the beach. So clearly, he could have adjusted the flaps to move it out towards the ocean, and then just ejected over the ocean. Know, maybe that's a little more involved than you think. It Why is. are you defending a movie that you didn't like? Uh. <laughs> but I did. I like the pilot. He made sense. He knew how to gauge his fuel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> chalking it on the dash. Yeah. <laughs> he had some brains. Yeah, so you got to carry a China marker around with you. Well, he time? seemed like he knew what he was doing. Not like the soldiers down there all lined up. It was just over directed. That might be a, a, a fair criticism. Okay, so there you go. There's Dunkirk. Whew. Dunkirk. Let's talk about some top five, shall top we? Top five. Ira, you have a little something you want to present? Oh, I almost forgot, Robert. Thank you for reminding me. And now, wipe off that frown as we present our countdown. We ain't joshing. This ain't no jive. Time to give a listen to our top five. Top five. This week, our top five is top five rescue movies. Right. Mom, as the guest, would you like to go first? What's your... Your fifth favorite rescue movie. I don't have five. I have four. I'm sorry. I can't what a dud. Up, so I'll pass you on You can't think of round five. five. I, okay, I'll give it to Psycho. Whenever, Psycho? Yeah. Yeah, there's some good whenever, rescue. Whoever was rescued at the last scene when he was down in the basement. Well, they were. it was all kind of a rescue. I yeah. mean, they were trying to... They were trying to find out what happened to What's-Her-Nose. I don't know if they yeah. were rescuing her, but they were trying to... Uh, what's, her, what's the woman's name? What was the actress's name? Um, they got killed in the shower. She took the money at the beginning. No, no, I'm talking about the end scene. Whenever, uh, yeah, but then it's her friend and uh, yeah, the right. other guy that they, they go after the sheriff disappears, right? Yeah, yeah, he disappears, and then whoever rescued was it the woman, the friend that was rescued? Yeah, they they eventually stopped Norman Bates. Yeah, yeah. why can't we think I, of the that's shower number five. name of the actress that bothers Janet, Janet Lee? Janet Lee. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, was that your number five? Uh, yeah, because yeah. I didn't have five. Okay. Okay. Four. Good. All right, nice. Ira, what's your number yeah. five? Uh, well, let me say, these are not scoops of ice cream. These are movies I'm not allowed to include because they're movies that we spoke about in previous podcasts. Okay. You, wait, hold on. No, you, I'm allowed to say step, them. You're going to step on somebody else's? No, because you didn't include them. None of us did because you're acknowledged other... But my top five That's are one of my questions. Yes. That's one of my questions. I, I, well, we have different... Yeah, but you're not going to include Saving Private Ryan. That's okay, my number okay. one. No, it's not. <laughs> Don't mention those. Save them for the end. Ira. Even that? Yes, oh, even that. God, look how he, What's your number such five? A control freak, no, the son just, of yours. I just don't want you stepping on it. 2008. Taken. Taken. It's a by the books. It's not, it, it, it does its job. It's somewhat of a linear story. They got the daughter and he goes after to get the, uh, by the way, you know who wrote the screenplay? Luke Besson. Yes. I didn't know that. I did. I didn't know that. He's responsible for the professionals and movies yeah. that we like a lot. Mm-hmm. And Liam Neeson. And it's it's a um, a knee-jerk, well-done thriller. Do you know the background of why Liam Neeson is in these movies? 
No. His wife died, and he was trying to work his way through his depression. Is that right? This is and, part of his therapy? Yeah. He, well, oh. he just started taking whatever movie roles people were coming at him, were throwing at him, and he wasn't really much of an action star. That's not how people thought right. of him, but right. he was like, oh, all right, whatever, I'll start doing these. And it really took off, and then all of a sudden, everyone starts thinking of him, especially after Taken, as this action star, and he's going, okay. And so now he's doing a lot more action movies, and, and it really suits him. He's great at it. He's great. Taken two, taken three. They're getting a little bit. The first one, of course, was the, the first good one. one was great. It was yeah. really a solid, solid movie. Simple storytelling. Get the girl back, but very well done. That's my number five. Number five, Robert. Taken. You know, I, I wish I'd thought of Taken. That would that would have been. A, Are you complimenting me? Yeah, I think it's a really good rescue. Your son movie. is complimenting me. I think it's also. It's a it's a good rescue movie. The rescue is what it's all about. I think that that's mm-hmm. nice. Okay, my movie is a movie I don't know that you've seen before. I doubt either one of you guys have heard of before. It's a movie from 2001. It's called No Such Thing. Have you heard of No Such Thing? No. It's about a woman who is, uh, she is kind of kicked, uh, she's like left on this island, like near Iceland, and she comes in contact with this monster, almost like a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. This monster just kills anybody who shows up on the island. And it sounds very fantastical, but it's, portrayed in a very realistic way as if there is this monster and he's this old curmudgeon he's seen humanity come and go and he can't die he keeps trying to kill himself but he can't die and so he just he'll kill people or won't or whatever he's just he's an alcoholic he just wants to be left alone and and drink his you know his alcohol and she winds up taking him back with her to new york and she helps him die and i thought that was a really interesting kind of rescue because She's rescued him from this island where he's spent his entire life and just this continual um, everyday monotony and all he wants to do is die because he's been alive for so long. And the way that she rescues him is by killing him. Hey, spoiler alert, by the way. He dies. Uh, But it's a really, really interesting movie. It's very well acted. The makeup is absolutely incredible on the monster. So check it out. No such thing. Nice choice. Thanks. Mom, what's your number four? Number four, Lifeboat. 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 Uh, Hitchcock I love movie. Two that Hitchcock movie. movies in there. <laughs> yeah, Tulula Bankhead. You want to talk a little bit about Lifeboat? I just liked her attitude. She was just like so blase. She was a rich woman in her bracelet. And so what? You know, they lose the bracelet. Mm-hmm. She was willing to, whatever happens, happens. But they do get rescued by the Carpathian. So this is obviously a movie where you've got, a, what is it, seven it's or eight different really people? The, it's not really the Carpathian that was in Titanic. It's about seven or eight different people that are on a tor- lifeboat, yeah, right? They were torpedoed in, in the war, and uh, their boat was torpedoed. And so then they were in a Trying lifeboat. to survive. Yeah. yeah. We spoke about Lifeboat in a previous podcast, the clever way they got Alfred Hitchcock's cameo. You know, we were thinking, well, in how the would newspaper. they do that? It was in a newspaper. Yeah, it was in a newspaper print photo of him. Yeah. Nice choice. Ira, what's your number four? Number four, The Martian. Mm. That's pure rescue, 2015. Ridley Scott, Matt Damon. Matt Damon is very good at needing to be rescued. And so... um, That's a great comment. (laughs) He is. He's got that... He's just really good at needing to be rescued. (laughs) I I love The Martian. I thought it was an incredible movie. My mom walked out of it. Oh? She watched about 30 minutes of it and stood up and walked out. It was smart. It was ambitious. It was humorous. I don't even remember oh. it. 
Did she really? She really? did. How unimpressed I was. She was just, she just, she didn't even say anything to me. She it was just such she a power didn't. move. She just was like, she just stood up and walked out, and I thought she was going to the bathroom. She never came back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Touché. what? <laughs> what happened to you? I was, what? I don't even remember that. So that's so funny. All right. What a statement. Nicely done. Yeah, it's a great rescue movie. Thank you. Uh, number four is a documentary from 2002 that I'm not sure if you've seen this one either but this is a really great uh, rescue movie it stars Steve James who's a documentary filmmaker he's the guy that made Hoop Dreams and Steve James typically puts himself into a lot of his films it's kind of immersive journalism so to speak and he made a movie about his uh, he used to be a Catholic big brother to this guy named Stevie so it's Steve James and his Catholic little brother was Stevie the two Steves and he felt guilty about his success after Hoop Dreams and things like that as a filmmaker. And he wanted to go back and kind of reconnect with Stevie and see where he was. And he was just kind of doing some uh, video recording and, um, and trying to get to know him a little bit. And as that happens, Stevie is brought up on charges for molesting his cousin who lives next door. And all of a sudden, Steve James, his whole life gets spun around and he winds up kind of having to get reinvolved in Stevie's life and try to rescue him and try to really get him um court him through the the judicial system and try to get him the appropriate kind of representation of lawyers and then he's also kind of battling on whether or not this guy should be let out because maybe he did do this thing and it's a really interesting kind of uh very personal rescue story of how to save this guy and the guilt that comes along with not having saved him when he should have kind of been the catholic big brother all the time throughout the years I always thought that was a really interesting kind of... Uh, I, I always thought of it as a rescue story. Uh, I remember I was in Carbondale, Illinois, going to school when Steve James came down and showed some of the footage of that documentary. We were all blown away at the time. And it's a great documentary if you ever get a chance to see it. 2002, Stevie. Mom, what's your I three? really like your lists. I've said that before, and I'll Thanks, say it man. again. M- mine are more on the nose, and yours are more abstract and out of the box. I've got a few that are a little bit more on the nose coming up. Generally speaking, that's really true. I I like that about you. I was noticing how whenever we talk about films, our our pockets, our own, we're always repeating the same things. Like your movies that you talk about are generally. You're talking to Ira? Talking about you, me, and. Iris. Well, I think the movies that most people talk about are the same movies over and over again. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's the the genre and the style of movie. I mean, we we tend to like sort of like you like a lot of abstract. I'm always referring to classics <laughs> and the old things, and he's more like modern films. Ira, uh, yeah, more popular films. I, I I I understand what you're saying. I think actually you might be more. You're more. Hip, Robert, you're more hip than I am. I think I've seen more modern stuff than you have, for right, sure. Right, right. But I, Ira more... tends to focus on 1960s and 70s. I really do. Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah. Okay. I haven't listened enough. Yeah. This is your son's I podcast. Know, know. <laughs> All right, what do you got, Mom? What's number your number three? Four? Number three? Number three. Okay, yeah, we're on number three. African Queen. The African Queen. All right, yes. so where's the rescue in the African Queen? Re- rescues after and... they go through the bulrushes and all the weeds and everything. They see the ship in the distance, and they've made it through the jungle. 
another World War II film, mm -hmm. the African Queen, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I know. I know. You don't remember the ship rescuing them? I, I, I don't remember that scene. It's been so long since I've seen it. They were just, they had leeches and everything. They'd just been through such agony and misery. And then finally, at the very end, they see the ship and the ship saves them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And my number three, again, somewhat going for the obvious, Captain Phillips. Captain Phillips, 2013. Paul, was the director Paul Green? How did, what's his name? He did the Bourne movies. Yes. Green Gla Glass? Green, uh, Green something. Anyway, Paul directed that movie as well. Uh, Tom Hanks, 2013. Obviously, a Paul Green Grass. Green Grass. Paul Green Grass. What well, was in grass? As in grass green, is gr green. Grass is always green. On the other side. When, uh, green, green. Okay, so Captain Phillips, my number three. What do you like about that rescue? Tom. Tom made that movie work. He, I thought he was incredible. And I've got to tell you, the climactic moments where the blood spatter, splattered on his face. Yeah. And he's, he's whimpering and out of it with what he just went through and those tight shots on his face knowing that he was being rescued but he was still confused when the nurse comes in and asks him questions and tries to calm him down it's it's a riveting performance another another one from Tom I do think that Tom Hanks is someone that's very easy to write off as being silly and flippant but when you look at movies like Forrest Gump and it's easy to just say all right you're not I mean you're a character actor who's been kind of glorified but the there are some really good moments. Sully, he's wonderful in yeah. Sully. He's done some really, really nice acting where he's he, he has proven that he's got chops. Right. A lot of people could make the argument that Tom is always Tom. He's always been but I don't Tom think Hanks, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Right. Right. He might be variations of himself, mm -hmm. and he's certainly turned in a few there bad performances. A lot of great, yeah. But I, I think he's turned in more than his fair share of good performances, right. too. Right. Okay, I'm going to go to a, uh, for my number three, I'm going to go to a 1926 silent film starring Buster Keaton, The General. Have you seen The General? Uh, yeah, a long time ago. I don't remember it. Oh. You don't um, remember it? That's I, what Mama always says whenever I don't remember I it. The love, African Queen. I love you don't Buster remember Keaton. it? No, I love Buster Keaton. He's so funny. He really is. Have you seen The General? I've seen pieces of it, so but not... The idea is that he's uh, he's trying... These trains have been stolen, so he's trying to get the train back. Uh, and he jumps in another train, and there's a, a big chain, train chase. And he's trying to rescue this train so that the uh, South doesn't lose a, a, one of the more powerful trains. And he's also trying to warn the South that the North are coming. And that whole chase sequence where he's uh, dodging... Uh, stuff being thrown at him on the train tracks. It's some. It's a really wonderful uh, stunt work that he does. Just almost everything Buster Keaton does is is it's absolutely his, his magical. Expressions too. His expressions are just. But marvelous. you know what it is? It's it's the lack of expression. the lack of expression. It's, exactly. it's straight faced while the world is falling around him, and he's just kind of going, "Oh well, I'll just deal with this then." You know, I know. <laughs> like it's, it's no big deal. Big tears sprung in my eyes just thinking about him. Yeah. He's funny. I always thought there was more pathos with Buster Keaton than than with Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I do. You, do you agree? With I that? do, except for it's maybe just... the kid. If you've seen the kid, I think there's right. some pathos there. But yeah, but I, I think generally you've got a point. speaking, yeah, I just feel heart from him in yeah. his performances more. Yeah. yeah. Mom, what's your number two? Number two, number two, Galapagos affair. But this is a rescue that went bad. Why don't you explain what happened? Oh, well, you can't just name the movie and then not explain it. There's an island in the Galapagos. Uh, Galapagos? Islands. Yeah. I 
forgot the name of the island. But anyway, the British uh, couple came there and they uh, kind of ran the whole island. And uh, it's just an intricate, intricate, it's a documentary. Why don't I step in? So this is about two British couples, uh, a British, one British couple that tries to escape um, the trappings of society in England and they move to the Galapagos and then they're writing they're writing back about uh, and, and set in like the 1920s or something like that they write back about how wonderful it is and then another family picks up and they just move out to the island with them and this original family is kind of what are you doing here and then a third family shows up and next thing you know there's a murder that starts to happen and a woman arrives and she takes over the island she claims she's a baroness and then she gets all this people to come visit her. And then she starts charging people money to take them on the island. And then mysteriously, she disappears. And her lover, she had two lovers. So there's a lot of like who done it. And the, yeah. and, the but documentary the rescue really is. That went bad is that one of her lovers in this menage a trois, they think was accused of doing the murder and so he escapes the island and then he's trying to catch a ship to another island to get back to South America and somehow he's stranded on a different island and uh, he dies there and his body calcifies and he has somebody with him that you know rode the boat for him and he died too and they found the skeletons on the this it really is a fascinating documentary. Oh, it's hmm. absolutely, yeah. it's riveting. Ira, what's your number two? My number two is indeed a rescue movie, but it's not about rescuing a person or hmm. persons. Instead, it's about rescuing art. And it's not Monument Men. I don't think we've ever spoken about this movie, Robert. John Frankenheimer, we spoke about John, but The Train... The I don't mo- know the train. I think the train. Are you familiar with this movie? It's um, 1964. John Frankenheimer, Burt Lancaster, gorgeous black and white cinematography. It's known for its incredible depth of field shots, tracking shots. Where, well, first I should tell you, it's about getting the art when the Germans stole the art from France, and it's about getting the art back and putting it in the train and. Burt Lancaster runs the train yard. There are incredible shots in this movie. Uh, one is where we see, they've shown this a lot in documentaries about Burt Lancaster, where he shimmies down a ladder of a water tower. Mm-hmm. In oh, one yeah, take, yeah. You know That's the shot? beautiful, yeah. You know the I've shot. Seen that. And then he, he runs and jumps I on the train that. all in one large tracking shot. And, and there's yeah. another one where we see the where we see the destruction of a train yard. They were going to destroy the train yard. The company didn't have the funds to level it. Frankenheimer said, we'll shoot it there. And bombs go off and you see the train yard blown to smithereens with panning back. Incredible depth of field. Gorgeous black and white cinematography. Burt Lancaster at his best. It's a hell of a movie. And I really recommend it to you. The Train, 1964, John Frankenheimer. All right, I'll try to check that out. My number two is a movie from 1996 where the world needs to be saved from an attack from Mars. It is Mars Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> and incidentally, do you That's remember? That's number two. I love Mars Attacks. You didn't Attacks. make that number one, huh? <laughs> uh, Mars Attacks is a, a movie. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast I'm ready or for not. Bed. <laughs> the, the first time I saw Mars Attacks, I remember saying to a friend that it felt like I just sat through a two hour long inside joke. But the more you watch it, the more you become inside on the inside joke. And that movie is really funny after repeated viewings. It's, it's definitely one that needs to be seen a few times. Robert, 
Did you mention Mars Attacks in a previous pod, previous podcast? I might have, but it was definitely after we stated our rule, to which if you'll go back, and I keep reminding wait, you. Wait, that rule is not retroactive. That's what it's, I said. I said from this point Yeah, but I don't on, listen to you. I know you don't listen to me. I need to, to listen me. to you. So it's starting from when you first made that rule like three yes. weeks ago. yes. Oh, well, in that case, let me revise my list. I, that, okay, That's why right. it usually pays to listen. Whatever. I'm sorry. What would you say? <laughs> you got caught on that one, too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Story of my life. Like Mars caveats. attacks. That's great. That's and do great. you remember how they defeat the Martians? How? It was the yodeling sound from, uh, was it Slim Pickens or whoever it was? The, yeah. The, the song that they blast that makes all the, he- the Mars yeah. Martians' heads blow up. Okay, Mom, what's your number one rescue movie? The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. So who's Dorothy rescued? is rescued by the the men, the soldiers in the witch's castle. Mm. I had so much relief after she was rescued because I really thought she was going to go. I, I might have mentioned Actually, it before. I've, I've been trying to play this game of what movie do you think most people have seen? Like, what's the movie that most, like, in America? I, I have the answer. What? This is not... Highest grossing film. This is what movie has been seen by the most people yes. in the United States? Snow White. Really? Because, well, at least that statistic was true 15 years ago. Well, that might be because true. Because of when it was made and it was so wildly popular, what, in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s? If you're going to count actual eyes, people who saw the movie, I'm pretty sure that movie had that, that statistic. Do you think that would still be true today? No. Or do you think, do you think because Wizard of, of Oz would be true? And other people, I've heard other people say uh, Toy Story. That's a pretty good one. I think most people have seen Toy Story. I was going to put that down as my number five. Oh, for Rescue? Yeah. That's a great question. Isn't it? Let's Google that. Let's get the answer. Let's ask a listener at home to let us know. By the way, Larchmont Village, uh, the lady that did the voiceover for Snow White, her house is there. And it has the well, and she has a little cottage there. So if you're ever there. Let's go on a field trip. Yeah. Yeah. I did that on my I tour. Ho, I ho, I It's... Okay, sorry. All right. All right, what's your number one? <laughs> I love that question you posed. Yeah, like isn't it interesting? Number one, favorite rescue movie of all time, Argo. That's a great I movie. I really, really like this movie. I don't think we ever... Maybe we spoke about it, not on a podcast, but maybe... Are you familiar with Argo? Um, it was uh, 2012, Ben. Ben, and he, ben, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck um, directed this movie. Right. And I got a newfound respect for him. Yeah. Uh, it, it's um, about how the CIA made up this, this bogus thing about a, a bad science fiction flick to, to rescue people from Tehran. 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 From, yeah. And it was so well done. He acted in it. He directed it. It has a great supporting cast. Um, Adam Alan Arkin is in it, and other people. It's just it tells the story so well. Argo, my number one favorite choice for rescue movie. Brian Cranston, John Goodman are both yes. great. In this yeah, movie. John it's Goodman, really, Brian. Really it's got movie. a great support cast, and he he was terrific in this. A newfound respect for for him. Yeah. All right, and my number one movie is a movie we've definitely mentioned on this podcast before, and I think that we mentioned it last time Mom was here, which was Black Hawk Down. And, of course, the guys who uh, in Mogadishu get stuck, and there's a rescue mission to try to go in and save them, and the rescue mission does not work, and instead the, the Black Hawk goes down, and those pilots were taken out and killed, and then at all of the rescue efforts... To try to get these guys out of there 
fail and ultimately they just have but to you, walk out. That reminds me, I'm sorry to talk over you, but it goes back to that movie that we critiqued, The Wall. That was a rescue mission on and on. <laughs> Endless wow. rescue. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised I, you didn't have that on your list. I, I was going to say that, but Make I that wanted to five. save it. I wanted to save it because it was a rescue of rescue of rescue of rescue that kept failing. You know, let me just extend that tangent for one moment before I go back to your thought. Sure. I thought a lot about the wall and I can't get it out of me. And I know wow. that I was somewhat critical, not critical, but I, I thought, what did I say? The movie didn't deserve an hour and a half for that one. I, I felt like it should have been more expansive than that. But that's part of the magic of why that movie worked. Mm-hmm. And there it was images, in real time. It was in, it was in real time. Now, you didn't like it that much. I didn't no, like it that much. And you did. All. And that's one of those movies that really stayed with me. <laughs> and obviously the ending was haunting. And uh, it was... It was such a, a I'm, I would like to go back and can we redo that podcast? Hmm. I'm actually wow. shifting my take on that movie wow. that um, I impressed. found to be a very impressive movie. So I'm. Um, see, I just see so many movies. To me, it's just another brick in the wall. Oh, we don't need your. Uh, but that one has to take, take it, take the prize for rescue. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> rescue never... attempt. No. A, t- a failed attempt. Because it's rescue. Maybe someday it's, a, it's still going on, you know. Yeah. No, it's He's a rescue still movie. being rescued. It's a botched it's... rescue. All right. All right. Well, well, on that note, let's wrap things up. <laughs> Mom, thanks so much for coming in and talking Dunkirk with us. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, if you have any complaints against our top five, if you'd like to... Add your own. Add your own element or your own movie to your top five... Be sure to do that. Send us an email at robert at moneyshotpodcast.net or and or ira at moneyshotpodcast.net or you can send us a tweet over at Twitter which is at moneyshotpod or you can shoot us a direct message through Instagram at moneyshotpodcast. Podcast. Cast. Yeah. Podcast. We're all over the place, aren't we, Robert? We are. We are. You can, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher, on Google Play or just go to our website. Yeah, and please tell a friend. Let them know and... Uh, spread the word all about money shot so until next time keep watching movies and we'll help you sort them out line fin do petty I find that very erotic